Well, this morning we are in our Choose Your Own Topic series. For those of you that haven't been here, uh, what happened was a couple weeks ago, I usually calendar my messages for a whole year. And I realized that the topic I was going to talk about over the summer, the late summer series, I felt like would be really better uh, used in the fall series. And so I didn't have a series to do in the summer, so I thought, hey, it'd be really cool if we just ask everybody, what are some things that you'd like for me to talk about? And uh, you guys gave me some really awesome uh, examples and some really awesome topics to talk about. So we actually had enough topics to do a series of eight. We picked the eight best ones, um, and uh, it was a really good idea. And so over the last couple of weeks, let's see, we talked about, first of all, uh, thanks to Helen, uh, who suggested we talk about victory in Jesus from Psalm 118. We did that one. And then last week, um, Dennis asked about how do you get the Holy Spirit? And we talked about that and, of course, some of the problems with the English there and using that phrase. Um, and then this morning, we're going to do something a little bit different. Um, I feel like I say that a lot, and maybe it's not that different. It feels like, to me, it's a little different. Today, we're going to do a, a topic called the Messiah's Secret, and that was thanks to Julie, because Julie wrote in on her card and asked and said, I don't understand why sometimes in the Bible Jesus says, don't tell anyone. Why does Jesus walk around and tell people, don't tell anyone about me? And that's kind of a weird expression that's in the Bible because aren't we supposed to, I mean, that's, Julie didn't say weird, but you know, it's kind of a weird expression in the Bible because aren't we supposed to tell people uh, about Jesus? So why did Jesus himself sometimes say, don't talk to people about me? So we're going to talk about that this morning uh, in the book of Mark as a part of the Choose Your Own Topic series, um, the Messiah's secret, the Messiah's secret. Why does Jesus keep secrets uh, or at least one secret? And what is the whole purpose of that in the Bible? So this morning, just relax. It's going to be an easy message. You probably are not going to leave upset. You know, sometimes I, you know, uh, it's a barn burner and everybody wants to run out because they're like, I don't want to hear this. But this morning it's going to be easy. We're going to talk about an interesting motif in the Bible. I'm going to try really hard not to put you to sleep either. So we're going to have fun time. Next week we're going to do invite a friend, right? And the topic next week is going to be what? What happens when you die? Which is a really big topic, really big idea. So be sure to invite all your friends to church. I don't care who they are. Tell them we're going to talk about what happens when you die. Ghosts, goblins, not really goblins, but ghosts, soul sleep, reincarnation, all that stuff. Everybody's interested in that stuff. We're going to talk about that stuff next Sunday. We'll let's fill the church up with people next Sunday. All right. So the Messiah secret this week. Thanks to Julie. We're going to talk about that this morning. Our eight week series in is choose your own topic. Um, you know, just ideas that you guys had. It was a great idea to do that. And I think we'll do that maybe next summer too. Why does Jesus tell people? Why does he say, Shh, don't talk about me to some people? Well, we're going to talk about why that is in just a second. Listen, why this is important. You may say, well, pastor, I sort of read that passage in the Bible but I never really, I just kind of skipped over it because it didn't really seem important to me. Why is it important that we talk about this issue of Jesus keeping the secret? Well, it's because of this reason. About a hundred years ago, give or take a hundred, not, no, I'm just kidding. Give or take maybe 20. But a long, no, maybe about, yeah, about, no, maybe 90 years ago, uh, a guy, a, a scholar wrote a book called The Messianic Secret. Okay? And in writing that book, he started a whole cottage industry because he raised the same question Julie did. And so today there are a lot of critics in Barnes and Noble who write books 
that basically say that the reason why Jesus told people not to tell about him was because he really wasn't the Messiah. He really wasn't God. He was just a dude who did what dudes do and talk about stuff. But he didn't want people, because he was an honest dude, he didn't want people to go around saying that he was the Messiah. But his followers, who were evil or not very nice or wanted power or something, they you know, built up the story of Jesus and we foolishly believe it today. Okay? Or B, that Jesus was mentally ill. Okay, and he was crazy, and so he would say, like, on one hand, he'd be like, hey, God's coming, but don't tell anybody. God's coming, but don't tell anybody, you know? He would be, he's just kind of crazy, and his disciples saw it his way again to get political power, and so they just tried to downplay the craziness of Jesus. All right, of course, we know in the church that that's baloney, and in fact, there's really no evidence of that. Okay, so let's see what the Bible says. We're going to look at uh, a passage in Mark um, where Jesus has the secret. Um, it is going to be, and I'm blank until the end of the verse, uh, Mark 7. That's right, Mark 4 is in a, in a couple of minutes. Uh, Mark 7, start 31 through 37. Um, we're going to look at that this morning. So if you want to go and open up your Bibles, it'll be up on the big screen as well. But um, we're going to look at a couple things here. So Mark chapter 7, um, verses 31 through 37. Mark chapter 7, 31 through 37. Okay, all right, I'm not there. Let's see, we're going to look at this, and we're going to talk about this, this curious issue in the Bible that occurs a lot. All right, so this is from Mark. Um, this is just based a story about what Jesus is doing on in his life and in his public ministry. Okay, so Jesus left here and went up to Sidon before going back to the Sea of Galilee and the region of the Ten Towns. So he's going around and doing his ministry. And then a deaf man with speech impediment was brought to him, and the people around him begged Jesus to lay his hands on the man to heal him. Jesus led him away from the crowd so they could be alone. He put his fingers into the man's ears, then spitting on his own fingers, he touched the man's tongue. Looking up to heaven, he sighed and said, Ephatha, which means be opened. Instantly, the man could hear him perfectly, and his tongue was freed so he could speak plainly, which is awesome, right? So Jesus told the crowd not to tell anyone. Okay, so that, that's, this is what Julie's and everybody's issue is. Look, Jesus told the crowd not to tell anyone. He just did a miracle. He just healed this guy, and he's like, but don't tell anybody. But the more he told them not to, what did they do? The more they spread the news. Now, there's like a list of reasons why Jesus did this personally as a somewhat cynical. I think that Jesus knew human nature and like good marketing is to do say like, but don't tell anybody. You know what I mean? If I want some furniture to get rid of out here in front of the church, I won't put, you know, please take, I'll put, please don't take this. And then it'll be gone in 30 seconds. Right. Okay. And so, so he, so anyway, he told him not to tell him and, and then they went ahead and told him anyway. So they were completely amazed and said again and again, everything he does is wonderful. He even makes a death to hear and gives speech to those who cannot speak. Okay, so there's three major reasons why we're going to talk about why Jesus kept his Messiahship secret at the beginning of his ministry. Let me put this a little bit in context. We want to remember that the Gospel of Mark um, records the life of Jesus, but there's a lot of emphasis more on the beginning of the life of Jesus. Uh, Mark's Gospel is of the four Gospels, four different versions of Jesus' life that agree unanimously about who Jesus was. But his sort of spin or take on Jesus' life is a very earthy, very down to, very natural approach to Jesus' life. It's very simple, very 
um, sort of almost, it, of all the Gospels, it's the most, um, how shall I say, choppy. In other words, because it's just kind of uh, just a string of his recollections about the gospel. And, and so Mark's gospel is the one that spends the most time talking about the secret. John's gospel doesn't spend hardly any time and no time really talking about the secret. Matthew and Luke just once, maybe one instance of mentioning the secret. But Mark spends a lot of time talking about the secret. Why does Mark spend time talking about the secret? Why is this important? Uh, it's not a major theme of the gospels, but it is a minor theme. Why is this minor theme important? Well, I'm going to give you three reasons today. Like I said, there's probably four or five different reasons. But three major reasons why Jesus kept his identity secret, at least at the beginning of his ministry. Number one is that he wanted to put his miracles in proper context. And if you have your handout, you can follow along with me. But he wanted to put his miracles in proper context. This is really, really important. Because a lot of times when we are introduced to who Jesus is, we hear about Jesus we hear about his healings, we hear about his miracles, and those are the things that intrigue us. I mean, you know, if I, I didn't have a really good movie clip this morning, so I, I decided I wouldn't show one. But, you know, uh, if we watch uh, a good movie, a good example of this, you know, we watched, I showed a movie clip a couple weeks ago from Bruce Almighty. A lot of you have seen that movie, right? And of course, when, when the director decides that he's going to give Bruce godlike powers, the thing that Bruce does first is what? He do, uses those powers. He doesn't go around and, and, and you know, simply uh, just love people. What does he do? He tries to split the Red Sea in his tomato soup bowl, right? Because he thinks that would be really cool. And he does powers and he, he's, you know, he uses his powers to do things. Um, so if, you know, I mean, it's a silly movie, so I, I won't use all the examples, but I mean, he uses his powers to do what? Make his dog pee in the toilet, right? I mean, Hollywood for you, you know? Okay, so the problem is, is that everybody's interested in this type of power, these type of miracles. But Jesus wanted to put his miracles in proper context. And this is really important for us that we understand the reason why Jesus first of all, did miracles, and the reason why Jesus kept his identity secret. Jesus performed miracles to affirm his message, okay? So it's, this is not going to be over in this passage. You'd have to look at all the miracles of Jesus in the Bible to get this sense. But we can see right here what Jesus did, in, in, as a matter of fact, at least implicitly. Because when, when they brought him... I'm sorry, I've lost my... Please here. Okay, so Jesus led him. Okay, so a deaf man with speech impediment was brought to him, and the people begged Jesus to lay his hands on the man to heal him. So Jesus did what? He led him away from the crowd so that they could be alone, right? Now, again, that's a little bit interesting because if Jesus was more like Houdini or Nostradamus or some other, you know, quote unquote human guy that may or may not have worked miracles, he'd want to do it in front of what? A crowd and sell tickets. You know, I mean, if you had the power to heal somebody, you would get on TV and you would sell tickets to it. Well, some people do, although we can debate about how that really works in real life. Um, but Jesus didn't want to do that because instead Jesus did a lot of his miracles in secret. Why did he also do his miracles in secret? Jesus performed miracles to affirm his message. Well, the reason is, is that the whole point of the miracles in the Bible is to affirm the message of Jesus. It is not for us to see the miracles and desire to have miracles. It is for us to understand the message. Let me say it to you like this. 
And so we're on the same page and we understand what Jesus is doing here. The purpose of the miracles was to support and prove the message, not the other way around. In other words, Jesus came as God. He came as fully God, fully man to be able to teach people about how we have a relationship with God. Okay, had he just gone and just said, hey, everybody, here's how we can know and have relationship with God. Well, people would have been like, you know, I don't know. I'm kind of skeptical of this. I mean, if somebody came up to you on the street and said, I'm the Messiah and uh, I want you to believe in me. We would be like, no, thanks. But here's a quarter. Go, you know, go get yourself something to eat or something. Right. It, It would be something that we would not necessarily do. But. For some reason, and nobody really knows why, God decided that, okay, if Jesus is going to come and he's going to speak the truth to people, there's got to be something that will get people's attention. And so Jesus healed people and he demonstrated his his divinity by doing miracles, by walking on the water, by healing this guy who was deaf, by healing blind people, by doing something. Now, Jesus didn't go around like a, a mobile hospital, right? And just, I heal you, 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 right? Like we see on TV sometimes. He didn't do that. Why? Because the purpose of what he did and the purpose of his message was not primarily to heal people physically. We've talked about this a couple years ago. And one of the big things is, is that we confuse this because we think that Jesus' whole purpose was to just come and heal people. But it wasn't. His miracles was set up to affirm the message, not the message to affirm the miracles. It's like getting the cart before the horse. But in our society, and even in our churches, oftentimes the emphasis is on the miracles rather than the message. I mean, let's just be honest. The Bible says that blessed are those who believe and do not see, right? And so even though we may never see a miracle or experience a miracle, that's not really important to God. What's important to God is that we hear the gospel message, we believe the gospel message, we accept that Christ is the Messiah, and we trust in Him and Him alone for salvation. That's the message. And that He will forgive us of our sins in making that trust and making that commitment. That's the message. The healing that God wants to do in our lives is a total healing. It is a spiritual healing. It is an emotional healing. It is an intellectual healing. It is a physical healing. It is not a miraculous physical healing alone. That cheapens the gospel. Now, if Jesus had come and just healed people physically, and that was it, they would die and they would go to the naughty place, right? Because they would still have sins in their lives. They would never have been healed on the inside. They just would have been healed on the outside. But at the same time, God knows that our ability to have faith in Him is so weak and so wimpy. And so impoverished that he guys, I guess he just threw in the towel and said, fine, I will allow some miracles so that you will believe. That's just my opinion of the Bible does state it this way. You know, Jesus talks about the fact that people don't believe. And so he's just not at all. So he's just not going to do any miracles at all because it's a waste of time. But the miracles were designed for us to understand the message. They were designed to bring our attention to the message. Now. People are always tempted by the fireworks. And that's the problem that comes in. Jesus, one reason why Jesus kept it secret at the beginning of his ministry was so that people would hear the message and not just the fireworks. I mean, think about it this way. If I had the power, let let me just use an extreme example. 
Let's assume I had the power to turn lead to gold. Okay, the ancient alchemical idea. Have the power to turn lead to gold. Okay? But I also believed that we should love each other. Okay? I turn some lead to gold, get enough money to go down to the San Jose Civic Center. What do you guys, what do we call it? The, where the sharks play? What is it? No, I messed it up. What is it? Pavilion. That's right. Pavilion. Sorry, I'm in the wrong town. San Jose Pavilion. And um, so I have a big show where I invite everyone. Everyone that's seen it is amazed by it. I'm going to turn lead to gold. So there I am on stage, turning lead to gold and saying, but listen, I want you guys to love each other. There's not going to be any love. They're going to be fighting their way up front to get the gold. They're not going to be thinking about love. It's a distraction is what the miracle would be. It would actually work contrary to the message, wouldn't it? Here's the thing. We know because there are stories in the Bible of people who fought their way to get to Jesus to be healed. Now, God was excited about that because it showed that they believed in Jesus at least somewhat, and they had faith at least somewhat in his power to heal. And, and to God, that was, that was a good thing. Okay, But if Jesus had just come and done a ton of miracles right at the beginning, nobody would have listened to his message because they would have considered him just to be a magician who did miracles. That would have been his reputation. But that's not what Jesus was. Jesus came to be the Messiah, and it was his message that was absolutely critical. His message is what's absolutely important for us. And when the miracles take the place of the message, we missed it. By the way, we talked about the Holy Spirit last week. Some of the times when we see people on TV who claim to be Christians and they're doing miracles, 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 miracles. This is the biggest indictment on them. It's not whether the miracles are true or false. We don't need to debate that with somebody. Just ask them, is the miracles confusing the message? Because there are a lot of people you can watch on TV who are doing miracles left and right. But when you're done with watching TV, what did you learn about Jesus? If somebody who doesn't know Jesus, what do they believe about Jesus? He's a God who will do miracles and who give you money. That's what it is. But that is not the message of the gospel. And Jesus was very concerned about that. He was very concerned about it. And so, at least at the very beginning, he didn't want to confuse people. He wanted to demonstrate that he was God, but he wanted to balance it by letting people know that the message was more important than the miracles. The miracles supported the message, not the message support the miracles. Okay? This is very, very important. It is very easy for people to get it confused in our minds because the miracles seem awesome, but the message seems kind of humdrum. But we want to make sure that the message is forefront in our minds and our lives. Secondly, is to put his ministry in proper context. To put his ministry in proper context. Now, this is kind of an interesting thing uh, about what Mark does here. And, uh, and there's also, again, hints of it throughout the rest of the Gospels. But there's what happened. Jesus here left here and went up to Saddam before going back to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Ten Towns. A deaf man with a speech and penance brought to him. Okay, people begged him. Jesus led him away from the crowd so they can be alone. He put his finger on the man's ears and then sitting on his own fingers, he touched the man's tongue. And then he, Jesus told the crowd not to tell anyone, but the more he told them, the more they spread the news. They're completely amazed that everything he does is wonderful. Okay? So the actions of Jesus were equally important as his words. People were watching Jesus and they were evaluating Jesus. They were thinking about who is this guy who heals this guy? 
I'm sorry, that's not good English. Who is this man that heals this sick person, right? Who, who is he? I mean, wouldn't that be awesome? Now, let's think about context here. If somebody appeared on the world stage, you know, let's say they went to Times Square, New York City, and they did a huge miracle, okay? And TVs, TV cameras were out there, and the guy, this person was doing miracles. There would be a debate. Let's assume he didn't say anything, just did miracles. There would be a debate about who this person was, correct? Because the context of the viewer would determine who they thought it was. Listen, if there's a big spectacle of miracles, let's say there's, you know, this guy comes and, you know, he's shooting lasers out with his hands and turning lead to gold and just doing all kinds of crazy stuff, you know, flying. Some people would think that that person was what? A god. Some people would think that person was what? An alien from outer space. Some people would think that person was a mutant or a superhero, right? Some people would think that person, well, I'm sure some people would think that person is the Messiah. It would really depend upon the context of the viewer. Which is very interesting because the context of the viewer is really important about understanding who Jesus was, right? Because different people view Jesus different ways. Some people view him as Lord of their lives. Some people view him as this old-timey prophet guy that... You know, was true to all religions or whatever. Some people view Jesus as this crazy person that crazy people today put their trust in. And they're like lemmings running off the cliff. You know, if you read the internet, a lot of the atheists will put stuff like that. What is the context of which people around that area of the world would have seen Jesus' miracles in? That's a good question. Would they have thought this is an alien? Would they have thought this was a god? What would they have thought? Well... Here's the thing. A lot of people would not have understood the Messiah that Jesus was going to be. Jesus was not the Messiah that people thought he would be. This is an age-old discussion, but one of the biggest misconceptions about the Messiah was that the Messiah was going to be what? Was going to be a political ruler. Was going to be a king who would come in and basically uh, come in and rule that part of the world with fairness and justice and love and equality and all that sort of thing. So when Jesus came and did miracles, people didn't think, hey, this is the suffering servant of God who's going to die for the sin of the world. That is not what most people thought at all. When they saw the miracles, they thought, hey, this guy could, could be king. This guy can, can get rid of the Romans because we hate the Romans. The Romans and the Greeks had had a lot of political power and influence over the people in that part of the world, and they didn't really like them at all. Many of them hated them. They were willing to basically use guerrilla warfare to get rid of them. And so they thought, this guy, if he can do this kind of miracles, when we stand up to the Romans, he can just cast the Romans aside and we can win the battle. People always seem to want a flashy king, don't they? Now, I want to be really careful here because it's true in America, it's true around the world, it's true all the time. People want some flashy person to be in charge. Now again, 
I'm just going to be real careful what I say here, but think about it. This is what the context of the ancient world was. People in the ancient world, people here around this area, people in Galilee, people in Jerusalem, they were ruled by a government that they hated. They hated this government. And so they were desperately hoping, if anything, that somebody could come and change their government. Get the Romans out of there. They didn't care what it was. They just wanted someone to change and they didn't care. If this guy did miracles, just make him king. And you know what? Throughout the history of the world, there is many, many examples of people who have felt like that the rulers they had was terrible. Let's just get anybody in there instead, put this other guy in, and he ends up being worse than the other ones. Do I have to name countries? I don't want to. But seriously, uh, I mean, all joking aside, it's tons of them. I mean, if you think back through history, people do that over and over again. And that's what Jesus was very concerned about. Jesus was very concerned that people would just rise up and make him king. And that's not what he wanted, because that's not the kind of king that he was supposed to be. But people would foolishly try to make him king, even though that's not what God's will for his life was. For some reason... In our world, people want to worship something. And they want to just swear their lives to something, even if it's a stupid idea that becomes stupider by the minute. And the idea that Jesus was going to throw over, or the Messiah, there's no biblical really context for this, that the Messiah was going to come in and throw out the Romans. But that's what people believed. That was the context of the Messiah when Jesus came. And Jesus wanted to make sure that the message of reconciliation with God and with people, that the message of salvation was not lost in that. That we as people can love God and have a relationship with Him. And that as brothers and sisters in Christ, we can love each other and have nice, healthy, not broken relationships with each other. That's what, that's what Christ wanted to do. And that's what His message was about. But people wanted to just take him and throw him up there in the king spot just to get rid of the other person. You know what? A lot of those people didn't even care what Jesus believed. They just wanted to get rid of the Romans. So people always seem to want a flashy king. Thirdly, to let people discover the truth. To let people discover the truth. This is the most important reason of why Jesus hid the fact that he was the Messiah. Here the Bible says, Jesus told the crowd not to tell anyone, but the more he told them, the more they spread the news. They were completely amazed, said again, everything he does is wonderful. See, people were amazed by what he's doing. I mean, they couldn't believe that he was doing miracles. I mean, they were just totally shocked. But one of the most important reasons, the most important reason of why Jesus kept a secret was because he wanted people to be able to discover the truth for themselves. Now, what does this mean? Jesus wanted to politely introduce himself to people. Again, it doesn't work very well when we talk about Jesus and we talk about God in a way that forces people to do anything. Of course, God could force all of us to worship him. We all know this. This is Sunday school. This is simple. God could force us to love him, but that's not really love. You don't you can't force someone to love you. At the same time, you can't come on too strong either in an attempt to let people know that you love them and you want them to love you back. Let me give you an example. I was, uh, I don't even use the movie. Let's say, single guy, maybe some of you are like this when you were younger, 
You know, you would, you would, there was this girl that you really wanted to ask out, right? And so you finally got up nerve, you asked her out, and she's like, yeah, I guess so, whatever. I'm not washing my hair that night, sure, I'll go with you, you know? And so you guys go out to dinner, and by the end of the evening, you're so excited, and you're like, I love you, right? And the girl would be like, yeah, like, uh, okay. Probably works, it probably, the movie clip I saw, I mean, they do this in movies all the time, but sometimes it's, it may be even funnier if the girl says it to the guy, because then the guy, like, runs away, you know, as fast as possible. And, and that's the thing, because it seems like too much information, you know? How could you love me after only one date? It seems like too much. And it is too much, because honestly, you can't love someone after one date. No offense to anyone here who had a first date, fell in love, and got married sometime after that. But it probably wasn't love. Probably something else. And so, <laughs> it would be too much information. Hey, nice to meet you. I love you, right? It would also be too much information, frankly, if Jesus showed up and said, Hey, everybody, I'm Jesus. Boom, miracle. You need to believe in me. I'm the Messiah. It would have been too much too fast. It would have been like sticking your mouth to a garden hose and just trying to suck it all in as fast as possible. It would overwhelm most people. Jesus wanted people to understand who he was over time. To get to know him and to love him because of who God was, not because of the miracles. Again, Jesus could have come and he'd done some huge miracle and say, okay, everybody, I'm God, believe in me. And a lot of people would have just fell down and believed in him just because of the miracles. All right, you did a miracle. Sure, why not? You're better than the Romans. I'll worship you. Whatever. You're probably better than Zeus. I'll worship that. I'll worship you. No problem. But that's not what God desires. What does God desire from us? He desires that we would trust Him, that we would love Him, that we would commit to Him. You don't trust someone after a day. You don't love someone after a day. You don't commit to someone after a day. That's the reason why, you know, American evangelicalism is kind of broken. Um, it used to be a long, okay, about 150 years ago, this, I, this guy, and it wasn't a wrong idea, it's just that over time all ideas are bad, okay? And this, idea, this guy had an idea that he was going to throw up a tent and go through the Midwest and he was going to say, hey, if you believe in Jesus, walk down the aisle right now and make a commitment today. And he found out what? A lot of people did it. And it was really cool. Church had never done that before. How many of you grew up in a church where you walk down the aisle and you come to the altar and pray? So, okay, come on, be honest, raise your hand. Okay, you know what? That didn't exist before the mid-19th century. Nobody had ever done it before. That was considered a new technique in doing church. So he would get people walk down the aisle, and it was awesome because people would make a commitment immediately. But there's a problem with that, as we learned over the last 150 years, which is what? Lots of people made lots of fake commitments that they didn't mean that way. So if people come to me, and they're from that tradition, another tradition, they'll say, well, pastor, you know, I mean, I'm not really sure exactly when I believed. I mean, I know I made a commitment. I know it was probably this year. I love Jesus with all my heart. Is that bad? No, it's not bad. It's not bad because Jesus himself didn't do that. Jesus himself slowly introduced himself to other people. And sometimes people will come in and maybe in one day they'll make a commitment to God. I doubt it. <clears throat> now, again, I'm not taking away what the Holy Spirit can do. I'm not saying it's not the beginning of salvation. But this is why the Bible talks about working out a salvation with fear and trembling, right? 
fact, we all know, we, if you've been in church for any amount of time, you know the Bible talks more about salvation as a process than as a one-time event. That's true. In the original language, look it up. And it's because God wants a deep, committed relationship with us. And when we make a commitment that day, that commitment is one that will take a lifetime to do well. Let's put it in marriage, because marriage is so simple. Marriage makes it easy. You know what? You commit when you get married that you're going to love this person till the, for the rest of your life. And for most people, let's be honest, we're saying it, but we don't really know what we mean. I mean, we're saying it, but, you know, it ain't that easy. It's hard, and it takes a long time to develop intimacy. And it takes a long time to get to know the other person. We're honest. And so, when Jesus came, he had two choices. He could either say, wow, here's the fireworks, look at me, I'm God, believe in me. And people would have believed for all the wrong reasons. Or he could just get to know people, love people, connect to people, have a committed friendship, committed brotherhood with other people in the world, and by that, open up the door where people would know that they could have a relationship with God because of what Jesus did and because of the example that he set. Jesus wanted to politely introduce himself to people, not force himself on people. Early disciples, by the way, couldn't handle the whole truth. You know? Have you ever had to tell either really good news or really bad news to someone? And you're like thinking, I don't know if they can handle this. You know when you have a really intimate conversation with someone? Maybe it's a brother or sister or mom or dad. And you're thinking about, I don't think I can tell them all in one sitting because it's difficult. And I don't know if they're going to embrace this whole idea. So you start slow and you sort of get to point A and you stop for a little while because we're, we're now at point A and you get to point B. You stop for a little while, that sort of thing. I mean, that's what Jesus had to do. I mean, Jesus, imagine it. If you were an early disciple, all right, your whole context is primarily that the Messiah is going to come and we're going to have an army and we're going to fight the Romans. Because they suck. And then here comes this guy who just is healing some people, talking about love of all things. Then, get this, says, hey, I'm Jesus. Tell everybody you don't really know me, but um, first of all, I just want you to know, let's not worry about the Romans. I love you. God loves you. I'm going to do a few miracles in, a, in about a year or two. I'm going to die on the cross, which means I'm going to be executed as a cursed citizen of this state. And by the way, because I'm going to be executed uh, under a curse, uh, if you just believe in my execution, that uh, you'll go to heaven. Would you believe that? No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. You could tell me all day you would, but you wouldn't. None of body would have. They would have thought it too ludicrous. But people began to believe the more they began to see. I mean, Peter, look at Peter. What did Peter do? Denied Jesus, right? It was famous. Thomas doubted whether it was really Jesus. These people, you know, I mean, they, some of them were not the sharpest tools in the shed. All right, let's be honest. But they weren't crazy people either. Some of them were very talented people. And yet, even them, Jesus had to do the Hansel and Gretel breadcrumbs to get them to see who he was and who God was. And we learn, not because somebody just says, Jesus is Lord, 
We learn because we follow the same breadcrumbs ourselves. Let me put it another way. If we go out and share the gospel with somebody, let's say we talk to our neighbor, we talk to a relative, and we say, and, and we get ready to share the gospel with them. If we go to them and say, hey, Jesus is Lord. Okay, yeah. All right, that's what you believe. That doesn't help them. That doesn't make them know that, doesn't explain anything to them. When we tell Jesus, we tell other people about Jesus, if you've ever done it before, you need to do it. It's always a breadcrumb process, right? You have to explain it slowly so they understand it. And then they'll ask, well, well, how about this and how about that? And that's the way it's supposed to be. That's the way it's always been, not because it's tradition, but because of human nature. Early disciples couldn't handle the whole truth. I like what this one theologian said. He said, complete human understanding of the messianic secret will only be possible after the resurrection. I mean, are you really going to believe a guy is going to be executed and cursed because of the execution and that you're supposed to believe in that somehow? No, only seeing it, experiencing it. There's some things you can only experience, right? You know, you go to a 3D movie or something. They say, oh, you know, you can only experience it. You see something live, a live concert. Oh, you, you have to go and experience it. Complete human understanding of the Messianic secret would only be possible after the resurrection. Therefore, no immediate Messianic profession would possess any depth of understanding, especially de- demonic confessions, you know, while the demons were like, I know that you're Jesus. Well, that wouldn't mean anything to people. They'd be just like, it's a parlor show. It's a trick. Jesus wanted disciples to think about the secret until they could articulate the secret. Jesus wanted people to love him for who he was. Not just the bread and circuses and the fireworks that he did in the evening. And he wanted people to think about it and think about who he was so that they could then explain to people who he was. Rather than just say, I can't explain it to you, look at the fireworks. They had walked the trail of breadcrumbs themselves to know who Jesus was and trusted in him as Savior. And in the same way, they would be able to walk other people through the trail of breadcrumbs as well. By the way, if you became a Christian only after a long discussion, a long debate, a long trail of breadcrumbs, praise God because your trail of breadcrumbs is useful to other people who need to hear the gospel. People don't need to hear the gospel as, hey, Jesus, Lord, come believe that's it in the the discussion. I'm not even 100% sure that's really the gospel. People just need to simply walk through it themselves and discover who Jesus is for themselves. And when they do, that is when real, true, life-changing transformation occurs in their lives. And by the way, you helping someone to do that, you will experience life transformation as well. Because you'll be there when a person goes from making themselves king of their own lives or wanting some other king that will beat up the Romans or the IRS or whoever your enemies are to having Jesus as king. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you this morning, Lord, and we thank you that we are able to worship you and that we are able to commit to you and that we are able to trust in you and you alone Um, and your plan for our lives, Lord, that we are able to commit to Jesus. Father, I pray that we would have made that decision, but that we, we would not just enter into a contract, a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, just willy-nilly or randomly, but that we would really try to seek to understand who he was, that we would uncover Jesus, that we would discern, we would know, we would just seek out for ourselves who he is and help other people as well. 
Father, I pray if there's anyone here who has not regularly helped other people to see who Jesus is, that this morning they would just decide to do that. They would make a commitment to do that, Lord, because that's what they needed in their own life as well. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.